the whole notion of purpose, it, it builds that humanity around your products and services. And I think companies that are doing this well are connecting the dots across their operations. That's Shannon Schuyler, PwC's U.S. Chief Purpose and Inclusion Officer, and Jeff Sen, PwC's U.S. Responsible Business Leader. This is Heather Horn, and thank you for joining me for the next episode of our Forecast 2021 podcast miniseries. Today, we're discovering purpose. Non-financial reportings rise to the same level of importance as financial, and there are significant financial implications on the big investments companies are making in these areas. The business results are quantifiable, and the cost of standing idle is increasingly becoming more damaging. So let's look at the ways you can change your processes, systems, and behaviors to achieve influential results. So Jeff and Shannon, thank you so much for joining me today. Looking forward to our conversation about purpose and inclusion and really talking about how organizations can bring this to life, which I know is something that you have helped do for PwC, but also spent a lot of time talking to different companies about how they can incorporate some of this in their day-to-day. So maybe just to kick things off, I think it'd be helpful for you to give a little brief background about your role within the firm and maybe even how you got involved with this. So Shannon, I'll start with you. Great. Thanks, Heather. So currently I serve as the firm's chief purpose and inclusion officer. I've been with the firm for 25 years. It's been a winding road. And one of the things that we've certainly seen, especially since the financial crisis in 2008, is an incredible need for companies to realize the responsibility that they have, both in terms of what they need to do socially, environmentally, and then more recently, what is the ways that they can contribute both from a policy standpoint, as well as really to be able to leverage their brands and their workforce, as well as their customers and clients in order to scale the responsibility that they have based upon all the good that they have gotten and all the revenues that have come through. Good. Well, I have many follow-up questions, but maybe before we do that, Jeff, can you talk just briefly about your role as well? I am the firm's responsible business leader. In that role, I help to translate our purpose that Shannon talked about into a tangible set of actions focused on what we do in the communities in which we operate. And I'm fond of saying that business can't thrive where communities are failing, that confluence between business and society, and specifically the confluence between purpose and inclusion as well, connecting the dots on those efforts. So Shannon, where you ended, you said uh, something about helping companies find their purpose. And so I'm very curious if I were a company and I I felt like I needed a new purpose or I needed to better define my purpose, what is involved in, in doing that? Well, what I think is really interesting about purpose is companies tend to, when you say, what do you do? They lead with their mission statement. Right. So for a long time, PwC went with, um, you know, we protect the capital markets because that's what we do. That's what we do inherent with our audit and, and a test and tax and all our work. That, that's part of what we do. But that's what we do. It's not why we do it. And so we really want companies to start reflecting on why are they doing the things they're doing? And that why is starting to have people reflect, like, what are their values saying and why those values? So to really take it one step further and to realize that the whole notion of purpose, it it builds that humanity around your products and services. So it's saying, yes, this is the transaction of what you do. But if you wanted to take that and really make it transformational, 
What does that look like? And that is how you get to your why. And so clients are now saying, what is the bigger reason? And what is the unique differentiators that we have as an organization? And what do we want to solve for in those areas? And I, and I think having the ability to bring them all together is what's so incredibly important. I think before and in many organizations, you have people who are doing purpose on one side. And so you have purpose and values and culture on one side. You have what we call responsible business leadership or CSR on one side, right? You have people who handle environmental sustainability on another side. And you have somebody who's doing the reporting for an organization that is yet another. And now we're hoping that companies can bring those things together because there's power once you define your purpose. How then do you bring those things together? Because one, it helps to really leverage the resources that you have. So instead of having four separate efforts that have four separate cost centers and four separate goals, it allows you to bring them together to be more efficient and to really make sure those efforts are more sustainable and not driven by individual leaders who have different types of agendas and different networks. It really builds it together and it allows the scale of it and the um, true benefits of it to be way more impactful than when things operated in silos. And then as we think about companies finding their purpose, how does the whole sort of debate or maybe movement towards the broader set of stakeholders versus just focus on your shareholder. How does that fit into this conversation? And have you seen a big shift since that has become more top of the conversation? Companies are are shifting and saying, we know our boards are important. We know that our shareholders are important. But what you're finding is a lot of other people will influence your brand and whether people want to follow it will influence whether they even want your product if it's not created the way in which they find appropriate based upon the societal concerns. And so people are realizing they have to completely revamp what they're looking at as their set of stakeholders and be able to take into new consideration because each one of those levers now is such a change to not only the aura that you want to have and, and that longevity of your brand, but the revenue that you have the ability to bring in. And that's becoming so important. And, and Jeff, definitely comment because you've done more formalized work on how do you build that assessment to look through where and how do you build that stakeholder community? Really what you have to do, connect the dots as Shannon pointed out between reporting, between operations, strategy, finance, human capital, all the different pieces of a company and thinking through that stakeholder lens. Think of it as kind of a Venn diagram. And what we're trying to find is that alchemy at the center that unlocks value where one plus one plus one equals five. Oh, I love that analogy. And I guess I would think if I were in the role of making decisions for a company, the idea of thinking of my purpose is a longer term vision or view versus, oh, maybe I have issues with my supply chain today, or maybe I have, you know, negative social media today, or, you know, all of these different things that maybe feel like they need my action right now. So how do you see companies sort of balancing that? Heather, I don't think it really takes the whole notion of authentic leadership. And so people will give you time to be able to develop what your narrative is. That said, you have to say the journey that you plan to be on. And supply chain is a great example. The vast majority of things related to your supply chain that you'll worry about, depending upon the industry you're in, is something that's going to happen way off. So what am I going to do if that mineral that I use in my product is no longer available in the next 10, 15, 20 years? That said, in, in the more current state, People are looking at, but you had people in your supply chain that actually represent the diversity of small businesses. So it's both a short game of saying, how do we leverage this to say, this is what we want to include 
in authentically realizing what we can contribute and what is in our control and what is outside of our control. So this is definitely a short term having leaders actually realize that there are no sidelines anymore. CEOs currently, they can't stand to be like, you know what, I'm not going to comment on things that happen within social unrest. I'm not going to comment on things that happen around America's brief and same-sex marriage. I'm not going to comment on immigration. You have to, because there's a belief that that's the role of leaders now, not just to make money, but to say where you stand. Well, each one of those decisions helps to start to frame that conversation around purpose, which I would argue is a lot easier to start to get a handle on versus maybe we were in other companies who developed their purpose five, seven years ago before seeing all of this. And I think now we're starting to really realize the value of having that longer term purpose and and how do our actions fit in and making sure that we're aligned with that and our values. But for other organizations who haven't done that, I think this now helps to start to build some framework around what needs to be in what we do and what needs to be outside, I think the challenge is they're doing that simultaneously with having to react because you have to react to social media today, but you're going to have to start to realize what does that mean to deal with social media 10 years from now? So I think it's a really interesting place to be in. And what I think companies who aren't looking to act don't realize is they're not going to have a ton of time to do it. And if you aren't acting in a way that people can look at it and say, they're trying they're being authentic, they're doing that, they will pick another place to go. And I think that is frothing with peril that you have both financially, as well as looking at the overall sustainability of your brand. I'll jump in on that. It's interesting, if we look at the corporate responsibility movement, purpose came at the end of this process in some ways. It came, or or maybe in the middle of it, just five, 10 years uh, ago, where purpose and now these concepts of stakeholder capitalism, which really aren't new, but they're, they're gaining momentum as it are the concepts of environmental, social, and governance, and these issues being material to financial performance and long-term value creation of the company. Your question is interesting because purpose, the why, almost came after the what. Many of these companies started working on the what and have been planning in the what. They may have even done reporting first. We've got to do this report. And then they were like, wait, how do we improve our metrics on this report? And wait a second, why are we doing this and how does this connect with our mission? And so I don't think it's been linear for most companies, but it's now starting to evolve into pieces are starting to connect. And we're starting to say, you know, this is our why. This is how we live our why. This is how we're measuring that. And this is how we're actively engaging stakeholders to continually improve. It sounds like a big message you guys are both giving is also don't be paralyzed. So don't do nothing because you're not sure maybe what your journey 10 years from now does look like, but start to at least take the steps now. No, I I definitely agree. I, I think one of the things that people worry about is that they have to get it all right now. And I think we are in a time because of so much has happened that you have some leeway. The media, nonprofit organizations, others are saying we know you're not going to get it perfect, right? Because we're all on this journey together. But if you don't say anything, we're going to create the narrative for you. And that silence, which is deafening, that means the narrative is going to be pretty negative. So would you rather have a go at creating a narrative that is a little tentative, but is getting you in the right direction? Because right now you get credit for that. If you just want to opt out, people are going to take their own impressions of what that means. And it's never going to be on your side. 
Exactly. So then as you guys look and work with different companies, how do you characterize the companies that are really doing this well? Like what are some of the key attributes that they are bringing to the table? And maybe it's people who are more mature in this or who have focused on it longer. Like what can we learn from looking at them? I think you're hearing now so much around this whole notion of ESGs. And so I think, again, in the past, people kind of came to the table on individual either um, large-scale programs that they did or, or really focused on one area or another, I think now you're having companies that are actually standing back and saying, we have to do it all, right? It's not just about supporting education. It's about supporting education. It's about supporting housing. It's about supporting homelessness. It's about looking at where you have your funding from a policy standpoint. It's about what is your commitment around uh, the planet? How do you look at how you're governed and the ways in which you can be better at that? So I think you have the companies that are, one, ready to look at it as a cohesive group, knowing that it has to be the whole collection of those things, hopefully galvanizing a purpose or reason that you have to do it. And then also those that are willing to be transparent with where they are. And I think those are the companies that are getting further ahead because they're building that credibility as well as, frankly, they're building their infrastructure. Because when you look at being able to report on these things, it's not like financial reporting. There's not a system that just you know, collects ESG data and can be done. You're currently getting that from different types of data around human capital and, and how do you collect your information around your office, environmental impact. And those currently come from a lot of different places. So I think companies that are taking that step are really showing that they're committed and are trying to be a part of the solution in order to help other organizations galvanize in that type of cohesive way. Because we are getting to a time where the non-financial reporting is becoming, especially for investors, the same level of importance as how you're doing financially. And so that's something that I think those companies are already on that path. So then maybe specific to reporting, I guess, Jeff, what are some of the key attributes, again, of companies that are doing the reporting well? And where are they on sort of a maturity scale? I think companies that are doing this well are connecting the dots across their operations. They're looking at all their assets and how they leverage them. So I think companies like people have to be resilient in this process because as Shannon said, you're not going to get it all right. But, you know, companies that are, are holding themselves accountable, driving a vision and moving along the, their agenda, I, I think are, are going to win in this space over the long term. Shannon, you spoke earlier about the fact that this information might be all over the organization and that those people need to come together. So then specifically, what do you see as the role as the CFO or the sort of finance department? What role do they play in the success in this area? Well, I think one of the things to realize is there's a substantial amount of dollars that are going to all of these non-financial things, right? That arguably, and somebody might say, is the what brings in revenue. I mean, so you have companies that are spending kind of on average 90 to $100 million a year on charitable giving. You have people who are spending hmm, 2 to $5 million on offsetting um, their carbon and, and looking for different ways to invest in different projects around reforestation and other things. You're having different organizations that are on the Hill and having conversations which may or may not be relevant to, to their industry or may hurt different legislators from voting in a different way and, and significantly affect what the revenue looks like. So what I want CFOs to understand is there's a lot of money in this, right? So even though we say this is non-financial data, the spend is super significant, right? And, and the spend is coming typically in organizations, not just from 
the RBL Corporate Responsibility Group, not just from the DNI group, but it's coming from all the other different individual players who think these things are important. So to be able to get your arms around what that looks like, and then also to understand the ramifications and the repercussions when you look at diversity and inclusion of what turnover actually costs. And even more so, not what turnover costs, but then what it costs to actually bring somebody back in. So I think there are just incredibly significant financial implications that the CFO should be at the table asking a lot of those questions and saying, this is important because it's not just a rounding number issue. I mean, this is a pretty significant investment that organizations are making, which they may or may not know of if they're only focused on the true financial data. And I think that's incredibly important to be able to get behind and to ask questions about. So I was actually recently had a podcast guest and we were talking about investment in emerging technologies. And specifically, one of the examples he was using was uh, how you could use immersive reality to help train someone of how to fire someone, which is obviously not always a very pleasant or nice conversation. But the point he was making is that many of those types of investments, there's not a clear return, right? So like what benefit do you get that your people are better trained or some of those different things? And the reason I bring that up is Shannon, when you're speaking, is thinking about the fact of the other issue and the fact there's a lot of money. It also seems like there's not the same type of, oh, what's my ROI on this? You can't make those same types of relationships with some of these investments. So, so how are companies dealing with that? I would argue that until a company, until groups can actually make those ROIs, if I was the CFO, I got to tell you, I might be not as keen at the conversation either. I think one of the things we have learned over the course of five or 10 years is they do have ROIs. You can look at the people and how they're engaged in either doing board seats or they're engaged in volunteering or they're engaged in, in other different things of, of whether or not that brings more success to the organization and that brings more connections and networking and opportunities. So these things very much have an ROI. And I think if they don't, I think the CFO should question it because that means there's a lot of money going out, out the door and no one's really monitoring what the significant impact is. But I think, again, companies who are doing this right are making sure that they're showing how much more revenue did we get because of this? How much did we save in turnover costs because that didn't happen? How much more are we getting based upon the networking that we're doing with other clients who are interested in the same causes? And now they're interested in coming along with us on a journey. So this is very much something that you can quantify. And if people are saying on their teams they can't, I think that that's a lot of money to, to not have that follow-up on. Yeah, I think, Heather, in the beginning of corporate responsibility, purpose efforts, ESG, there was a lot of kind of, they were faith-based. We're going to make these investments and we know they're going to come back. And I think there will always be some of that within business. There will always be investments that we're not quite sure of the ROI. But I agree with Shannon in that this space is maturing very quickly, that people are starting to create linearity. I mean, the stock market now is trading emerging companies in cars and online retail and things at much higher rates than these their established competitors based on a vision of a future in state. Um, so we've got an established pathway to how to value those companies and how to think about that. I think the same is emerging in these ESG issues. We realize that 40, 50, 60 percent of a brand value in a, in a company's general worth can come from these intangible assets. And they can come from what we're traditionally not thought of through these financial means. But 
we're, we're starting to, to notice in their absence when we when companies do a bad job on these things, it hurts their bottom line. When they do a good job, we're starting to see a positive correlation with stock price and performance. So I do think that this space is emerging. I don't think it, it's going to be as linear as a profit and loss statement as we would like it to be, but it will continue to grow uh, and it will continue to, for lack of a better term, professionalize. We talked a little bit about reporting, but I want to. I'd like to ask you about your experience uh, preparing PwC's diversity and inclusion transparency report. And I know we did that for the first time last summer, and I'm sure there were a few painful moments involved in that, including maybe some of what we found. So, how did you approach that, and and what advice would you give to companies thinking of doing something similar? For us, we started with about 150 different KPIs. So think about everything that's out there from the GRI to Carbon Disclosure Project, Diversity Inc., Catalyst, all these different organizations. And and then we really felt compelled to be able to show three years of data so we could either show we're actually making progress, maybe it's small, or we got three years of no progress or three years of getting worse because we felt like we needed to own that and, and to be able to go into that level of detail. And then we kind of use that in, in a way to help determine and, and refine a list and, and look at those who are really good at reporting and, and that we admired. I think then the challenge was looking at all the systems that we have. So like many other companies, you know, we have uh, different systems from a human capital standpoint. And so we have systems that are legacy systems. We have systems that are um, in place for recruiting and we have other systems that are in place for current workforce. And so we had to look at all that information. And in doing that, we realized some of the challenges and what we wanted to get better at. And I think we also realized that in showing the data, we wanted to be very transparent that after a 20-year journey in diversity and inclusion, we would have expected better of ourselves. And there were things that we were doing well, especially over the last couple of years, when you look at our especially entry-level hiring around underrepresented minorities that we look at as our Black and Latinx talent, we were making incredible strides, as well as what we do around pay equity, which we've never talked about. But we won surveys throughout the year to make sure that we are driven to pay equity at every single time and every single influence that we can have during the course of the year. And then also we were doing a lot around supplier diversity. And so we wanted to talk about that. But we also want to talk about when you look at representation across our levels, when we get those individuals who are underrepresented minorities coming in, we're not keeping them. And so when you look at promotions, it's stilted. It, it was the first time, Heather, as you know, our partners never knew even the representation of the partner group. And so to be able to tell the partners that, to be clear, less than 3% of our partners are Black. People didn't know that. And, and then also wanted to go to a step because we really saw that some companies who are leading in this talk about the diversity of those individuals leading their P&Ls because those are the people who end up in the C-suite. And so we wanted to talk about our equivalent as global engagement partners to show we've made a tiny bit of progress for women, but none from a racial diversity perspective. And so we have to do more. So this was kind of one, we wanted to show our people that this is where we are and we need your help in doing more. This cannot just be a diversity and HR issue. This has to be for us, 55,000 people realizing that their decisions on a daily basis and their thoughtfulness and empathy drives the experiences that people have. And if we're focused on equity and parity, everyone needs to be a part of this journey. And, and that was hard for people to see, especially people who said, we've been talking about it so much, like, let's stop talking about it. And for us, the report was like, oh, clearly we haven't talked about it enough because we're talking about it, but it's not translating into true data related actions. 
So then Shannon, how do you feel about the fact that it's going to take time? And so now you issue this report, people look at it and say, you need action. Maybe it's going to take five years before you see appreciable change, or maybe it could be faster, maybe it's longer. And that's not unique to PwC. But how does a company think about that, that you can't really fix this overnight? Well, I think it's interesting. I would argue there's pieces of it you can fix overnight. The question is whether or not it's sustainable or not. And I think that's where people get caught up with the difference between quotas and goals and targets and aspirations, because I think you can make some bad choices to fundamentally change the goal if your goal is what's in the box. And I think companies need to say, you know what, even though I can do that, it's more important that regardless of leadership, regardless of where we are in society, that this will be important, which means to your point, it can take longer, but then you use data analytics and say, but what do we then need to change? So instead of it taking five years, it takes two. So what do we need to change in order to do that? And we talk about it as you need to look at your systems and how do you change your systems in order to influence things to make more rapid change? Well, you look at your behaviors and you help to build awareness and behavior. So ultimately the people can do what the systems you've made them do to quicken the journey. So I, I mean, I think you kind of have to look at it from both pieces because I don't think people have a incredible appetite for we'll be diverse in 10 years. <laughs> so it, it's saying there's pieces of the puzzle. And the question is, what are the pieces of the puzzle that help to get to the diversity that's most important to the organization? And how do you change and enable your systems to change outcomes and let that happen while you kind of take people on an emotional, personal journey to change what they're doing and the different decisions that they make. And, and I think looking at those two things um, is incredibly important. So it sounds like then, Shannon, you're saying you need to show change, but it needs to be more than just, oh, I'm targeting a number in a box because I know I'm going to report this next year. But it's like really thinking about how you make substantive change. And Jeff, when Shannon was talking, I saw you nodding. So just curious of anything specific to add on that question. I think it's important for us to think about all these ESG issues, whether it's net zero or diversity and inclusion or engagement in our communities as change efforts. Many companies will come out and say, this has been built into our DNA since 1910 when we were founded. And, and that's kind of disingenuous. Our definitions of societal impact, our definitions of societal engagement have changed. And there's a common saying in the corporate responsibility space that we all want to work our way out of our jobs, meaning it becomes so embedded within the firmament and culture of an institution that you don't need a corporate responsibility leader. I see that differently. I think we will always have emerging issues that outpace regulation and companies, you know, ability to or forward thinking to grapple with it. But, you know, there will always be a gap. And, and so we always need to work to bridge that gap. But I think it starts with realizing these are efforts around change. And one way to do that is to look at frameworks like the competing values framework. Understand your company and its personality. Are you competitive? Are you cooperative? Are you innovative or are you more stable and traditional? Like if your company was a individual, describe that individual and think about how to change that because we, we often say we're going to change the company without a true understanding of what drives the culture of the company. Is it process driven? Is it innovation driven? And then feeding those change elements into that system so that the system starts to recreate and spawn this change at greater and greater level. Because at the end of the day, 
corporate responsibility and DNI teams can get big. They can never be big enough to mandate this, to really just force it. It has to be done through clever and calculated strategy of what are the levers and inflection points to drive the change and the desired endpoint that we want. Earlier, um, Shannon was talking about this idea that if a company's not responding to events and they're radio silent when things are happening in the world, that eventually many of their employees may just decide this isn't where I want to be and they're going to leave. But on the other hand, let's say I am one of those people and maybe my company didn't respond to some what happened last year in a way that I thought was appropriate, or maybe they didn't respond at all. Is there anything I can do as an individual other than just saying, okay, I'm going to go find a different place to work? Or is there a way to start to influence this, even if I'm not in a specific role? Well, one of the things that, and I had a conversation this morning with one of our employees who has been considering whether or not they want to make the move to purpose and inclusion RBL into our space. And, And we get a lot of those because people want to be want to drive change and they feel like it's what they want to be a part of. And what I say is, listen, people who can make the most change within PwC's organization do not reside in our groups. The people who can make the most difference are those individuals who are client facing, who are sitting within their engagement teams, who hear something, who say something, who drive the conversations. I can create different programs for people to volunteer on. We can create education things for people to be able to get engaged with. We can create a structure for green teams to be able to get involved in. We can create candid conversations for people to have to talk about those really challenging things around diversity. I can't make you do it. And so to me, the individuals who are sitting there and who are watching it, and because this needs to be real time, it needs to be real time understanding of what do you see? How do you change? How can it fit into your job? How is this not an add on? So you think it's a burden, but a part of the compliment. Can you work with your client because your client believes in this cause and we believe in this cause. And so we can do that together for society. Is there a way for us to be have you know, a conversation around those things that trouble us because somebody sent a chat in, you know, in one of the engagements and it was a little off. Can we just have that conversation now versus letting that be something that will drive that person ultimately to leave because they never got to raise their hand to say, I didn't like that. And so I really want people to know that, that the people who have the most power are the ones who are actually sitting there every day. It's not the people who are sitting in these departments. We can help to create and support but it's the other people who really make this come to life and make it not just a slogan, right? Make it not just a marketing campaign, make it not just a commitment or something we signed, but make it come to life. And that's what I hope people can realize because their importance is, is clearly what drives any type of success we would have. Everyone has an opportunity to do something. Actually, as we were talking, I was thinking, you know, we're recording this, obviously a lot going on from political perspective. And I was talking to one of my friends who had said they were on a company town hall. They don't work for PwC. And they asked what the company thought about what was going on from political perspective. And there was no response. Like they, they declined to answer that question. But then I guess someone who was monitoring the question saw it and called my friend just to talk about it, not to give like an official reaction or anything, but just to talk about it. And They said it was so meaningful to just have the conversation. And I think that exemplifies a lot of what we've been talking about here is like, be willing to have the conversation. And if you're in a position of leadership, push your company and, you know, also as an individual, something you can do. So, well, and Heather, just real quick to build on that. I think that goes back to, I don't know if your friend has a, now a view 
on that leader who didn't say something. Because I think that goes back to if we don't say something, people create a whole narrative and would have been like, we're supportive. Like we didn't think it was an issue. Like we thought that was okay. Like we thought it was democracy because that's the only thing you can do if you're not going to stand up and say something. And, and I, I want to make sure that people realize that puts you in a way worse position. Even if you say, I know people think differently about it. We're trying to figure out what our stance is. We're determining how this aligns to our values. You can even go there, but the whole like, avoid, (laughs) like don't say anything. Then you create all these horrible things in your mind about really, like really, what do you stand for? And I think that is just something that you're not going to be able to get out of. A hundred percent. think you're right. That silence can lead to a whole other set of problems that you may not even think about. Sometimes it may seem like, well, I don't know the answer. So I'm going to be silent. So then just to follow on that, I'm going to ask you both this question is like, we always like to wrap up with this, that if you were looking in your crystal ball and you were looking maybe one, three or five years out, where would you like this to be? And you can either answer from PwC perspective or where you think society may be. And so Shannon, I'll start with you on that. My hope is that we have all learned a lot through personal suffering, through seeing others suffer over the course of the year, and whether that's because of a illness and a pandemic, whether that is because of just disgusting treatment racially, whether it's because we can talk boldly about what we think is inappropriate that happens within our political system, regardless of the political side that you're on. To me, I hope that that helps to galvanize us to realize that, yes, we are radically different and that people have incredibly different views but that more people will settle on the need for respect and for the ability to understand why we are so great when we accept the differences, not saying that it has to be a difference that you take on yourself, but really understanding the ways in which we are more relevant, we are more um, united when we can face that and when we can get through that struggle together. And, And I do hope that as we go down that path to have companies move forward in solidifying not just the commitments that they make, but actually watching that they make them. And I'm hoping that it will get us to a better place than we could have imagined. True change. And how about you, Jeff? Over the years to come, I hope that we see at the individual level, as well as the organizational level, a continued acceptance that we all, these are shared issues that required their shared responsibilities and the required shared action from us all to do. And some of those are going to be small steps. Um, and some of those are going to be big, dramatic, you know, steps that companies and organizations are going to take and governments are going to take, but all of it adds up to, you know, the world we, we want to live in. And as Shannon said earlier, the individual sitting on the phone call who makes the choice not to sit silently in complicity to something inappropriate that is said, but raises their hand and says, I don't think that's right. Let me explain my feelings. And, and hopefully does it in a way that doesn't threaten the other person and doesn't try to best the person, but rather better the person, because that's how change is going to be made, I think. A lot of this is going to be made individual by individual, and it's going to add up to the world that we want to live in. Well, both, thank you so much for joining me. Very inspiring, and I really appreciate your perspectives. Thanks so much, Heather. Thanks, Heather. That's our episode for today. 
To learn more about the power behind your purpose, additional resources can be found on the show notes page of this episode. Join me back here every Tuesday for new accounting and reporting episodes. Next Tuesday, we're revisiting an accounting fundamental, earnings per share. A lot has happened this year. So what does that mean for your EPS calculations? Tune in here to find out. And on Thursdays, join me for our series for CFOs and controllers. Next Thursday, we're turning our attention to Washington for a policy update and what we can expect in the year ahead. So that you never miss an episode of any of our podcasts, subscribe to PwC's Accounting Podcast Series wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all the latest content, let's connect on LinkedIn. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com slash structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.